land, saying Macedonia being Greece, uh, the modern-day Greece, and uh, this vision of a Macedonian man saying, come and help us. And so the gospel broke new ground as Paul and his companions made their way over into Europe. And we saw God using people like Lydia, the, the seller of purple dyes, and the Philippian jailer, and others who were converted to establish the church. That's the letter to the Philippians. The church started there in, in the act of God as he was drawing people to himself. And, and this morning, uh, the message of Christ and the gospel continue to press on. It continues to win souls to the Lord. Um, Paul will preach in Thessalonica and then in Berea. And uh, the majority of our time will be spent in what happens in Athens. I don't know if it's helpful to you. Uh, you can let me know. But I like to see the map. So we have a map again just because Paul is bopping around from place to place. So uh, where we're starting out is, um, you know, again, he was in Philippi last week, right under the word Macedonia on the left. Then he's going to Thessalonica. I don't know if you can see it. That's the far uh, left top town where the red line goes. From there, he'll go down to Berea, which is like, that's like 50 miles. And then from there, he'll make his way down the red line uh, to Athens in southern Greece. So that's, that's just kind of the map of what's happening today. I always kind of, I'm a geography geek, and I like to see where people are going and what's going on. And that's, that's the narrative that we'll hear today as we walk through, um, by the way, the distance there from from uh, Berea to Athens, about 200 miles. So when, when people are talking about going somewhere, like 200 miles, that's a rigorous journey. And uh, just for what it's worth, just having those realities in mind as we're walking through the scripture. So now we're going to read the word of God. Uh, as I prepare to read it, I just remind us all, uh, this is God's authoritative, perfect word. We will not get any counsel from this book that is anything but perfect, pure, true. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And when some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the world word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. 
and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Verse 16, now this is going to be the focus of our time. Now, while Paul was awaiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for? You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives himself to all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Aragapite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Lord, we receive your word this morning as ultimate truth. 
there are people in Athens and Thessalonica and Berea who needed to hear the word of God, even as everyone in this room, myself included, we need your word. If it weren't for your word, Lord, we wouldn't know who you are. And we would be worshiping all kinds of things, including ourselves. So, like you did for those there, communicate through your word this morning truth about yourself, Lord. That we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Making not a God of our own imagination, but rather the God that you are revealed to be. So help us, Lord. We, have, we live in a culture that constantly is trying to reform our understanding of God. Help us to be clearly informed by your word and use this text to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see, the gospel is progressing on and on forward in through these cities. And, and uh, you know, we're just going to kind of roll through some of this and then park down in Athens. So what is happening in Thessalonica? As Paul is there, he's, he's going in. And, and for some reason, Luke, the author of, of Acts, is, is kind of highlighting, I mean, he's highlighting his ministry to the Jews. He's, he's particularly talking about how Paul is going in to the synagogues and appealing to the Jews. Why is he doing that? Because the Jews had largely still not believed in Jesus. They rejected his claim of Messiah. So Paul is going in to these places on three successive Sabbaths, it says, and he taught them from the scriptures. And he was preaching the gospel to them. It says he was preaching Christ and his resurrection. And when Christ and his resurrection is faithfully being proclaimed, God by the Holy Spirit moves on the hearts of people because God the Holy Spirit is, is the God of truth. He reveals truth. He illuminates truth. And a number of these believed, a good number of devout religious Greeks as well as women and men. Praise the Lord, the march of the gospel goes on. However, the, the other Jews who did not believe became jealous. And we see this in the two cities here in Thessalonica and Berea. They became jealous. They roused up a crowd. They basically tried to get him kicked out of the city. They went to the house of their host, whose name was Jason, and they were looking for Paul particularly to drag him out and to, to probably uh, do bad things to him. We don't know what they were planning, but obviously they weren't going to, to bring him a birthday cake. They were going there to inflict some sort of pain and pressure on Paul. They didn't find him, so they dragged Jason out and the, those who were with them. And uh, there was this uproar in the city. In the meanwhile, they, they fled by night, Paul and Silas, to Berea. Berea was a little bit different. They went still to the synagogues, but the Berean um, folk in the synagogues, they were interested particularly in the scriptures. They were, it says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And, and what he's intoning there is they were directing their hearts toward God in a clear and more effective way. They examined the word with all eagerness. They were examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. So they were attuned to the word of God. And as a result, 
Uh, what does verse 12 tell us? Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well. Um, again, culturally, this would have been significant. Um, you know, women of high standing, they were, they were turning to the Lord as well as men. And for some reason, you know, Luke is again highlighting a number of these women that are coming to him. He, he highlighted Lydia. She was a, a powerful business lady. And, and God's gospel is going to all men and all women. And it's, it's powerfully moving in the hearts of people as it is being faithfully proclaimed. Well, the rabble come down there in Berea. They see what's going on. They stir up trouble. So in the middle of the night again, Paul is whisked away to the sea and to make his 200-mile journey down to Athens, which, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. So what was so significant about Athens? Athens was a city, again, it's the capital of Greece, it's the capital city of this area altogether, and uh, it was there. This was a city of philosophers and thinkers, of artists, of people who were uh, sensual, people who loved pleasure. Uh, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, they were all Athenians. They all gathered there. This was, uh, one commentator called it, an intellectual metropolis. The people of the city loved art and thought and culture. They valued philosophy and discourse and critical thinking. This was a city dedicated to the worship of the empire and the human spirit. And it was a completely lost city. Though outwardly beautiful with temples and all kinds of ornate display, it was a completely lost city. They were buried under idolatry. And as Paul, you know, imagine yourself a, a proclaimer of the truth, walking the city, and, and some commentators estimate there were as many as 30,000 idols in this city, like all over the place. One of the commentators that I read said there were more, sit more idols there than people. Like, so you were more common to bump in an idol than, than a person. It was just, it was flooded. The, the, the sense you get is that this city is just like, underwater, covered over with idols. And as Paul walked through the city, what does it say? Uh, look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, waiting for uh, his companions to arrive, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. I mean, he, he, you know, he knows the truth about God. He knows the truth and he's, he's walking amongst the people that didn't know anything about God. They, they had tons of quote gods all around, but they actually were just believing lies and his, his heart was grieved. They're, they're believing a lie. And as he walked, he was determined to speak they, these worthless idols, these carvings. And why would you bow down to something that was, you just made 10 minutes ago? Why would you do that? Why, why don't you worship the true and living God? And this gripped his heart deeply. That's what that word in the original, it's like this deep moving in the inner gut. Like he was deeply burdened by what he saw. See, these people of Athens, they love this rhetoric and philosophy and art and culture, thinking that through those things they would find satisfaction. 
thinking that their pursuit of pleasure in those arenas uh, would, would yield to them something that would make them uh, regularly smile and be satisfied. But as a picture of their lack of satisfaction, which we know can't be found through any of those things, they, they actually erected an altar to, you know, and they said, to the unknown God, like the catch-all, in case we missed one, we're going to make an altar to, to the God that we missed because we don't really know who or what they are or he is, but we're going to make an altar just to cover our bases. They were lacking in hope. They were not satisfied. All of the study and all the dialogue and all the discourse, it brought them nothing. And Paul, armed with the truth, he could not help himself. So he went to the synagogue. He went, he went into the market squares. He would teach. It says to whoever would be there, whoever would listen, he, he, he went and talked because in the line of Bono, the, the lead singer for the 90s band U2, it seems that they still hadn't found what they were looking for. And it broke his heart. And so whether or not his companions would have joined him, I think Paul was going to stay anyway. Because he loved them. And he wanted them to know the truth of who God is. So what does God, what does Paul, excuse me, communicate about God to these dear lost people of Athens? What is the true God like? He says a lot of things, but I'm going to boil it down to three things. He says, number one, he is the creator and source of all life. Let me read verse 24 and 25 again. Well, let me back up to 23. For as I passed along, he's addressing them, men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are religious. Notice what he's doing. He's building a bridge with them. He's, he's saying, listen, I, I see something about you. I observe something about you. How do we build bridges with folks? We, we start with a common connection that we can find. He's building that bridge. I see, as I walk through your city, I see that you are very religious. Verse 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And now in verses 24 through the end of the chapter, he just, he just volleys to them, gives them truth after truth after truth about who the actual true, real, one true God is. So he says it here, verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So the first thing that, that Paul says, I sum it up this way, he is the creator and source of all life. Paul get, begins by establishing the facts of who God, that they're searching for who this God actually is. It is God who created humanity. It is God who created, in fact, every single person who has ever lived. So rather than be unclear about the origins of life, rather than be unclear about and, and leave them to their philosophies about how they came into being, Paul establishes right from the get-go, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. New City Catechism, maybe he was quoting it here. 
He is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Notice Paul is appealing. Again, he's appealing to the longing of their hearts. They are longing to connect with God. That's why they're making all these temples and shrines and and idols. There is something in the human heart that wants to to connect us with something beyond ourselves. During the pandemic and especially after, the traffic at, once the national parks opened up, the traffic going to national parks in the United States has exploded. Why would that be? Well, we were sick of being inside of our houses. Yes, that's partly true. But there's something else I think that's happening in in the hearts of Americans as as we flock to, to places like the Grand Canyon. It's because we want to see and experience something bigger than ourselves. We want to see and experience something glorious. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I was able to be there with my family a few years ago, and, and it, you definitely have a sense of how small you are when you're standing in front of that, that huge, gaping uh, canyon. And I think there's something about us as human beings, even though we try to suppress the truth about God, we still long for something bigger than ourselves. And, and Paul is appealing to that to them here. He, he knows that they long for that fulfillment that is elusive to them. And so he says, you know, God created you. God created you purposefully and for, for uh, a reason that goes beyond what you're pursuing right here. He is the creator of all. He is the sustainer of all. He is the one who owns all. He, he is in charge. God created us for connection with him. And he was trying to help them make that point that God is God has created you and established you and he's created the boundaries and borders of all things for his care and for your good. And so that was the first thing that Paul communicated. Second thing that we see here is his sovereign dominion extends over all. Let me read verses 26 through 28. He says it this way. And he made from one man, Adam, Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul, again, very wisely, he reaches toward them by quoting uh, some of their own poets as even of some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So he is the creator and sustainer of everything. He is the giver of life. He says his sovereign dominion, secondly, extends over all. So from Adam he made all of mankind, and every person that has ever lived uh, has been created by God, has been created in his image. Now, there's something about... These people, uh, the Epicureans, in fact, that, that this would have ministered to. These people, um, they believe that the gods that they made and the gods that they worshipped, they believe that those gods were remote. Uh, they were detached. They were unconcerned about the affairs of their lives. They believed that the world was just due to chance. There was no purpose There was no purposeful design. There was no eternity. So this world is all we had 
uh, the, their ultimate ethos was this. Pursue your highest pleasure for yourself. Because you only live once and then that's it. There's no eternity. And by the way, you're a random collection of cells. You have no purpose, no design. So your ethos or our way to live is pursue your highest pleasure for yourself. Um, whether it be music or art or philosophy or sex or career or whatever. Just go for it. You only got one round. Do it and pursue your personal pleasure. Thinking that in the pursuit of your personal pleasure you would find fulfillment. And actually as I think about that, uh, it sounds pretty similar to a culture that I live in as well. You know, we only got one round. You only live once. This life is all there is. So find you and then you do you. And in doing you, you're going to find pleasure. Isn't that kind of the message that our culture brings to bear on us? I, I think it actually is. And where has that brought us as people? Has that delivered us to the place of peace and satisfaction and joy? We know that pleasure could never be found in the pursuit of those kinds of things. And these dear Athenian people, I mean, I, 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 there's no verse here that says Paul loved him with all of his depth of his being. But, but it sure seems like Paul is leaning into these people because they are so lost. He feels this deep and abiding pity for them. And he wants them to know this unknown God that they're, they're trying to worship. And he's, he's appealing to them. God has created you for a purpose. God has made you in his image. There's not any person that, that walks on planet earth who hasn't been made in the image of God. And has purpose and design. And he's speaking directly to them. He determines the periods of time and boundaries of our lives and then he says this line, I like it. He's again, he's just reaching toward them. He said, and, and he's not far from you. Let me read again verse 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Do you see what he's doing? I mean, th this is a merciful sermon that he's given. He's, he's, he's appealing to their religiosity. He's saying, I know you're in pursuit of the truth. I see that all throughout your city. You want fulfillment through the pursuit of something beyond yourselves. And I'm here to tell you about God, who is the author of all life. He's the creator. He's the one through whom all things flow. And you're not far from him, Athenians. You're not far. I mean, he's just in love. He's just reaching toward them uh, to help them uh, understand that God has come. And you see what he's doing. He's just building. He's setting the table to now talk about Jesus. That's, that's the very point of why Jesus came. He, he entered into our struggle so that he could redeem us from a life filled with pursuing dumb, stupid idols. Right? That's why he came. So that we would actually have life rather than be chained to 30,000 idols. Can you imagine? Like the idol of this and the idol of that. These poor people submerged under the weight of all of those demonic truths. 
half-truths, lies. They were, they were struggling and he's extending for them this great hope. Which brings us to the third thing he says, and now here's where he gets to Jesus Christ. He is the resurrected judge. So he is the author of life. He has his dominion extends over all the earth, including them personally. And thirdly, he is the resurrected judge. God, being the creator and sustainer of all, didn't just like some of them, especially the Stoics. So uh, Paul mentions the Epicureans. We've talked about them, the Stoics. You know, you, you know the line like, oh, don't be such a Stoic. Well, why, what, what did the Stoics believe? The Stoics believed in fatalism. They believe that you, you just have to walk through life with a stiff upper lip and you have no control over anything and you just have to deal with it. You just have to persevere. You have to be stoic about it. That's where that phrase comes from because they were very fatalistic. So these two cultures were kind of living simultaneously with each other and he was appealing to both of them. That no, no, God has come, he has made, made his offspring, and he commands all people now everywhere, whether you're an Epicurean, whether you're a Stoic, whether you believe in, in something else, he commands all people everywhere to repent. So what, what does this term repentance mean? To repent, as you likely know, is to agree with God to agree with God about our sinfulness and to turn away from sin and toward him for mercy and for grace. And from what are we to repent? We're to repent of sin. See, Paul knew uh, sin himself. You might recall, he's the one who was pursuing Christians and, and killing them and, and nodding in approval as Stephen is being stoned for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. He knew what sin was. But God arrested him on the Damascus road and he didn't want anyone else to follow that same sinful path that he was on. So, so he's preaching repentance here. And he pens these words later to the, to the people who are in Rome, not far away, by the way, from here in Athens. And he says in Romans 3, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why God calls all people everywhere to repent. He says, look, you, you can't make God out of your own artful imagination, uh, which, by the way, is a temptation for us. We'll get to this in a few minutes, but it's a temptation for us to do the very same things that the Athenians were doing at times. We, we want to create God in our own image. We want to shape him and fashion him, sometimes not according to what the word tells us about him, but, but what we think will be more palatable to other people and to our own lives. That that's, that's comes in the application in, in a moment. But, but there was repentance because, because there was a God who stood in authority over all. If, if God is the creator of all, then he stands in authority over all, and there is one to whom we will give account. And he goes on to say that how can he command people to repent? Because he is God and God alone. And he reminds the people that God is coming to judge the world. Look at verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
So, you know, these folks, they largely scoffed at the resurrection. They didn't believe that anyone could rise again. Certainly not the Stoics who are fatalistic and, and not also the Epicureans who are saying, hey, this, this world is all we got. We got one shot, that's it. There's no resurrection from the dead. So he was proclaiming something that they inherently disagreed with. And yet at the preaching of the gospel, the Lord still uh, raised some in their hearts to faith and belief And here's what he's saying. Make no mistake, Athenians, make no mistake that there is a coming day when the God who created you and established all things, um, God is going to return. And, And we have proof of this because the man he appointed, though he died on the cross for the sins of everyone who will believe, he was resurrected. He beat death and the grave. And that's proof that he is coming back and God has fixed a day where he will judge the world. And he's he's just telling them straight up, look, you're acting as if you don't have any higher authority than yourselves. You do. His name is God, and his son is Jesus Christ, and he has resurrected from the dead, and he is returning to judge all. Boy, I tell you what, what a sobering reminder, isn't it? God is coming to judge the world. For those who are found in Christ, for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, do you know what? We, <laughs> we, we just have every reason uh, to be happy this morning. Every reason. I, I, I'm not trying to deny the challenges that you might be experiencing in your life. I'm not doing that. But I am saying, um, of everyone on the planet Earth this morning, who should be the most hope-filled people? It is us who believe in Jesus Christ. Because when that day comes, do you know what our reality is going to be? I think we will humbly go before our Lord and humbly say something like, the only reason, the only reason I can stand here is because the blood of Jesus has covered me and he has forgiven my sins from the first to the last. And he has removed my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. And I did nothing to deserve this. It is only by grace that I stand here, whether we can say anything or not. That's an approximation of what we might say. And and what God is going to say is some form of Romans 8, 1 and 2, where he will declare over us as he has already in faith declared over us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We have the best news in the world. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So for those of us, hallelujah indeed, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, we have this eternal future and it's glorious. And yet here's where the application comes in, dear friends. We must remain faithful to this message. We must remain faithful to the message of the reality of the coming judgment. We must remain faithful to the true gospel. We must remain faithful by the grace of God to what the word tells us and reveals to us about God. Now, there's a reason I think that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included the story about the Bereans right before his trip to Athens. 
And it's not just because chronologically that's what happened. What's happening, Berea? The people are searching the scriptures to know the truth about God. What's happening in Athens? They're pursuing their own pleasures and appetites in some mysterious uh, hope that they might attain to God in some way. He's, he's, I think he's linking the two. And he's saying, listen, the way we know God is by the word of God. The way we know God is, is by holding fast to the truth of God. The way we know God is by the revelation of the word of God. Let me remind you of what 2 Timothy tells us. All scripture, you know this, all scripture is what? It's breathed out by God. It's God's self-revelation. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture helps us to see God. And so praise the Lord, we this morning were not like the Athenians who are just uh, like wandering around trying to pursue some sort of pleasure in, in some sort of way. We have the truth of God, and yet the temptation for us, dear friends, is, I believe we can all see this, the temptation at times is still to make God in our own image. To, to not like certain pages of scripture that hold us to account for things. To, to when we're talking to our neighbors, to want to just present the gospel in a like, hey, Jesus is an upgrade to your life kind of a way. As opposed to saying, you know what, dear friend, can I tell you something that's true? There's a judgment coming. This God that I worship, he's going to return. And he's going to judge every person who's ever lived. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible says? That you will be judged to hell. That is such an unpalatable message in our culture this day. You know it and I know it. And our temptation, dear friends, here again, here's application. We must stay true to the counsel of God's word and not shave off the edges that, that make us uncomfortable or make other people uncomfortable. So we must remain true to the scripture. That's what Paul did. And in fact, he was doing the most loving thing that he could possibly do for the Athenians. Would it have been loving for Paul to go to them and say, hey, I see that you're very religious. You know, you'll get there someday. That would have been hate. To keep his mouth shut would be the opposite of love. And, and this is what Paul, in, in, in building bridges toward them and, and seeking to love them, he proclaimed the truth. And I, I know that in our hearts, sometimes we can struggle to proclaim the full gospel of God. We, we can be tempted to shave off the hard corners. And, and I, I believe the Lord just has preserved this text so that we will be reminded of who God is, but also that we would be reminded, Lord, help us to be faithful as we hang on to you. And he's going to help us to be faithful. Even when, we, even when we're not faithful, God holds us, doesn't he? He holds us fast and he gets us back on our feet and he helps us to move again. So Christian, let me just say, let us hold fast to the truth of God as revealed in his word. That we might know him. And love him, not, not for the figment of our imagination that we make him out to be, but what for he actually reveals himself to be. Because a God of our own making is just that. A God of our own making. 
Salvation will not come through a God of our own making, but salvation comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. So I'm going to ask the band now to join me on the stage as we bring this to a close. God so loved the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, excuse me, God so loved the Bereans, God so loved the Athenians that he sent his son to die for them that they might have life. And I would say as well, God so loves those people that he, he sent the Apostle Paul to go there and speak the truth in love that they might be resurrected from their own spiritual death, that they may experience life. In fact, that they might be given a living hope. Remember we were talking about who are the happiest people on the planet Earth this morning uh, because of our future, because of all that God has done? It's us. And so that's how we're going to conclude our time, but this reminder that God has died and God has been resurrected so that we have a living hope. And that's what we hold on to this morning. Our hope is alive and it's pulsating and it's, it's for, for us to enjoy, but it's for us to share as Paul in great love to these, went to these Athenians. So I want to ask you to stand with me now as we, as we take a moment to pray. And ask God to help us to be faithful to his word. And as we're faithful to his word and know him more, that he would just remind us of this great living hope that he purchased for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, I've just been so blessed by looking at his life this week in this passage how he, he saw people who were lost and rather say, oh, these lost people and turn away his nose. He went for them. He went closer to them. He appealed to them and he built bridges toward them so that they, like he, could know the truth. And Lord, this morning, we, through the scriptures, we know the truth and we have this living hope purchased for us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We glory in that hope, Lord, this morning. We celebrate that hope. And now, as we celebrate it, may we also be faithful to proclaim it to those who are just like the Athenians, Lord, all around us. Father, would you give us courage and would you give us strength? Would you give us the ability to withstand the mockery that will come at times? Because it certainly came to Paul. It certainly came to you. And if it came to you, then it's going to come to us. Help us to love you more. Be so gloriously enthralled with you that even a little bit of mockery would would not stop us. Even a little bit of suffering would not stop us from being faithful to declare to other people the actual truth that they too can have a living hope.